Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Righto, well, just to give you a bit of a heads up, uh, this is going to be a a two-part message, this one. There's just way too much in this to cover in one Sunday. So we're going to look forward to hearing the rest of it next Sunday. Now, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said something very similar to this. He said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then later on, the disciples said to Jesus, what do you mean by that? And he said, what, don't you lot get it either? He said, do you not see, in verse 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Right now, when Jesus said that, um, it it makes a note in there that he was revealing that all foods are clean. But but more than that, he was revealing that the, the root problem of sin is that it's a heart issue. Sin isn't a, a result of of external factors. Sin isn't because things that were done to me, therefore I've become sinful, nor is sin a sickness. Sin isn't something that I caught from somewhere and therefore something I need to be healed of. Sin is a heart problem. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. And it's out of the heart of man that comes every kind of wickedness. And that's why living by any kind of moral code or or living by a system of ethics 
is incapable of setting us free from sin. Even the old covenant law couldn't do that. It, it was very helpful in letting us know what was right and what was wrong. It was also sort of life-giving in that it provided a short-term interim measure for obtaining the forgiveness of sins. But any system of rules, even the old covenant, is incapable of truly freeing us from sin. Because if wickedness comes out of the heart, what's needed is a radical change of the heart. Now, we've got no South Africans here this morning, but um, they would have been very chuff for me to acknowledge that in 1967, uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, Christian Bernard performed the world's first human-to-human -human heart transplant. Uh, it was a remarkable achievement, and it was celebrated right across the world, uh, even though the recipient of that heart only lived for 18 days. Um, the, the survival rates today, apparently, are far better, with 69% of recipients living for more than five years with their new donor heart. But the statistics remain grim. 100% of donors die. Now think about that for a moment. 100% of recipients eventually die. And science has now confirmed that 100% of all humans eventually die. Right? And, and the thing is, the unspiritual person will probably go, oh yeah, yeah, we all die. And so their attitude might be, well, extending my life for as long as I possibly can, that's going to be the key. Or perhaps indulging myself so that the life that I have will be as pleasurable as possible for as long as possible. That's going to be the best that I can do. But the spiritual person sees it in a whole different light. The spiritual person realises the importance of the fact that this life is very short when we compare it to eternity. And so it's really, really important that our hearts are right before God. As amazing as a medical heart transplant might be, far, far more critical is a spiritual heart transplant. And this is something that the Lord told us that he was going to do. He told us this through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I'm going to bring a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old one. It's not going to be like that one that, that Israel weren't able to keep. Um, it's not going to be a law that, that you have to try and learn so that you can obey it. He said in Jeremiah chapter 31, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother saying, No Yahweh, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sins no more. And, and this is the new covenant that was bought and paid for with Jesus' blood. And this is the gospel that we now preach. Through faith, we repent of sin. 
we confess all of our wrongdoing and we're forgiven. But once we've been forgiven, what then? What then? Do we just continue on as we once were? It doesn't matter what my life is like. No. Jesus didn't die to save us from sin so that we can then keep on sinning. Well, did Jesus save us so that we can now study the law and we can understand the law a whole lot better and, and, and keep the law? No. And, and that's the whole purpose of this letter that Paul's wrote to the Galatians. Paul's saying, that's not what we have to do. We've been set free. Don't, don't go and enslave yourself to the law again. We've been set free from that. Verse 16 is the key. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So let me paint the picture. Before we are saved, we're driven by the flesh. And the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. Right? So the flesh is that worldly part inside of us, that propensity that we have to sin. It's that part of us that wants to see ourselves as number one. It's that part of us that, that puts all of that pride into our hearts and go, well, I'm right just as I am and I can do whatever I like. It's that selfish part of us that puts ourselves as number one and God and everybody else as number 10, 12, 14, 20,000. But when we respond to the gospel, this all changes. Holy Spirit comes inside of our heart and he writes his law onto our hearts. And that's why it's so critical that we respond to the true gospel and to not some kind of man-made alternative to the gospel. You see, the gospel gets watered down in so many different ways, maybe mainly so that it's not so offensive. But by watering the gospel down, it, it misses the absolute beauty of what the gospel truly is. To be truly saved, it actually begins when I come to the realisation that, that there is no good in me. I am so rotten. Uh, the theological term that, that gets used is total depravity, right? Before I'm saved, I'm rotten to the core. And so we have to put to death the old self and then be raised anew in Christ. We become a new creation. This is what Jesus talked about when he said that you must be born again. We put to death our old self. In verse 24, it says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what that means? It means that to become a Christian doesn't mean that I can just add a bit of Jesus to who I am. It means I am so appalled with my rottenness that I fall on my knees before the Lord I cry out to him, God, I don't want to be that person anymore. And as we surrender our lives to Jesus, this is the crucifying of the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Are you with me? And if I do not take this step, if I do not renounce my old self, my old fleshly life with its passions and desires, do I really belong to Christ? Because those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, it all boils down to who's my master? Up until I become a Christian, I have been Lord. I have been master. But do I want to continue being Lord? Do I let the flesh continue to guide me or do I actually crucify that flesh and let Jesus be the Lord that he truly is? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is the starting point. And if we do not get the starting point right, we're going to have a whole lot of trouble walking in the Spirit. But if we get that starting point right, then walking in the Spirit is just a matter of keeping in step with Christ. So before we were saved, we were controlled by the flesh and totally rotten to the core. But in Christ, and this is the good news, in Christ, all that changes. We're forgiven of our sin. We're taken from darkness into light. We're transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of our heart. It changes everything. It changes our heart. And all of a sudden, we have with us what we call the desire of the Spirit. It's not a moral code that we have to try and achieve. The Spirit inside of us changes us from the inside so that we want to do what's right. And you understand this, don't you? You have the Spirit inside of you and you're wanting to do what pleases God. You want to get closer and closer to God, do you not? Yes, yeah. Stop going, oh, it's cold, and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Now, some people would say that's the end of the story. Uh, once I'm saved, I'm led by the Spirit, and so if I feel okay about something, well, it must be the Spirit leading me. Uh, and sometimes you might hear somebody say, I've got a passion for such and such as if them having a passion for something means that it's automatically a prompting from God. Now, I, I sincerely wish this was true. Um, sadly, it's not. Now, you see, at this point, Paul's writing to Christians, and the picture that Paul paints for us here is that the fleshly nature, it hasn't disappeared and that there's an inner battle that goes on inside of us. And I want to tell you, this is something that actually gets harder when you become a Christian. See, before you become a Christian, you haven't got the spiritual side there. You've just got the fleshly side. And so you don't have this inner battle. But once you become a Christian, and once you put to death the old fleshly self, then, from then on, the Spirit is inside of you and you've got the promptings of the Spirit fighting against the promptings of the flesh. Now, if you're anything like me, 
sometimes you might get the feeling that those other Christians, they are so perfect. Why can't I be like them? You know, and, and, and you feel that there must be something wrong with you and you feel so terribly inadequate as a Christian because all those other Christians that they talk about overcoming sin, but for you, there continues a daily battle. It's a war between the flesh and the spirit and it's going on inside of you. Or am I just describing myself? Am I describing you or just me? Just me, okay. Um, you know what? That's normal. This is a battle that I fight every single day. It's a battle that you fight every single day. And we need to be encouraged because we're not in this battle alone. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now that's, that's an interesting turn of phrase and it's, it's interesting because it can work both ways, right? What do you want to do? I don't know what, there's times when we want to do good, isn't there, right? And we really want to do the right thing. Now, if you want to do God's will, the flesh inside of you is then going to start trying to fight that. And the flesh inside of you is going to start making you go, well, just don't get too carried away there. Don't get too carried away. So, for instance, God might be calling you to serve him in a particular way, but the flesh inside of you, that worldly carnal desire, might prompt you by saying, oh, yes, that would be very nice for you to do that, but you realise, don't you, you've got other commitments. You, you can't possibly serve God in that way. You, these other things you're committed to, they're so much more important and you should leave it for somebody else. Right? So you want to do the good thing. You want to do what's right. But then the flesh starts telling you, no, you've got other priorities. But it works the other way too. Sometimes I want to do the wrong thing. Now I might snap and go, I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind. And people say, can, you sure you can afford to? You haven't got much left. Um, no. I want to give a person a piece of that mind. I want to put that person in their place. And the flesh is fully encouraging me to do that. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. But what does the spirit do? The spirit's opposed to the flesh. And the spirit is urging me to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and and we want to do evil but the spirit is there and it's keeping us from doing what we're wanting to do all right so we're not in this alone the flesh is coaxing me to evil but praise god the spirit is opposed to the flesh but what is the spirit I want you to know the spirit is not some kind of airy fairy concept. You know, all sorts of people talk in terms of spirit. Oh, you know, it was spirit, the, the spirit of that place was beautiful. Or even you go to a footy game and, oh, wow, what a spirit of fun we had there or whatever. The spirit is a person. Paul's already told us it's the spirit of the Son of God. 
He told us that back in chapter 4, verse 6, when he said, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Isn't that beautiful? The spirit of Jesus himself is with us. The spirit of God's only son is in us. We're not alone in this. But, but how does this all work? We've got the flesh battling the spirit. We've got the spirit battling the flesh. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I do what the spirit's telling me to do. And sometimes, to my shame, I end up doing the things that the flesh tells me to do. What Paul said in, in Romans chapter 7, I, I often find myself resonating with when he said, what a wretched man I am, when he was talking about the same dilemma. And I thank God that in times like these, when we have succumbed to the flesh, I thank God that his grace is sufficient for us. I can repent of sin. I can confess that sin to God and I'm totally forgiven. You understand, don't you, that, that repentance isn't a one-off thing. Uh, quite often in the scriptures, the instruction is given to Christians and sometimes to whole churches to repent. Repent and turn away from your sin again. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, taught us to pray, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, I, and so we thank God that, that he forgives us of our sins when we do this. Even so, I want to know, how can I get the batting average up a bit? You know what I mean by that? You know, like how we live matters. And we should always, always be striving to be the very best disciples of Jesus that we can be. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Make every effort. We don't just have this done to us. We have an active part in this. So how do we strive to be the very best disciples of Jesus that we can be? How do we get the spiritual batting average up and the fleshly batting average down? Verse 16 tells us, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, Christian life's a journey. Uh, and it's a journey we're going to walk until the day we die. Don't ever get it into your heads that, oh, okay, I, I had that one event where I gave my life to Jesus and, and that's it. No, the Christian walk is a journey. We walk with Christ until the day we die. And how close we walk with Christ will have an enormous bearing 
on whether the spirit reigns or whether the flesh reigns. So, for example, if I have a problem with lust, choosing to watch a movie with scantily clad actresses probably isn't going to help me to keep in step with the spirit. Whereas in all matters, if I begin my day by reading the word of God and dwelling on what he said through the scriptures, that's a pretty good way to keep in step with the spirit and to pray, to pray through matters. That's a pretty good way to stay in step with the spirit. And so if temptation comes along, no matter what your temptation is, and we got, I'm not going to say how many people here today, because people on the video don't know that we're nearly empty. <laughs> oh, oops, they do now. I can edit that out. Um, but if we had 100 people here, if we, <laughs> if we had 100 people here, we'd have 100 different temptations that we all fight with. Um, now, if temptation comes your way, immediately stop and get back in step with the Spirit. Just take some time out to pray. Which is why verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, what, what the law used to be able to do and can still do is it helps us to identify works of the flesh. But we shouldn't even really need that anymore because Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident. If we are led by the Spirit of God, the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives us a few examples of works of the flesh. Uh, and by the way, this is not a definitive list. We can be sure of that because it ends with the words and things like these. All right. So these are just examples. And he starts out with sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Uh, sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornea, uh, so it might give you a bit of an idea about what that's like. Um, sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage as God designed marriage to be. Right, so sexual intimacy should only be between a man and a woman who are married to each other. And any other form of sexual activity is what's defined as sexual immorality. It is not a work of the spirit, it's a work of the flesh. And to those who are in step with the spirit, this is evident. And so if you're dating your boyfriend or girlfriend and things are hotting up a bit and getting a bit passionate, it's probably time to stop. Because if you continue, that's not being in step with the Spirit. And if you feel to an, an attraction to somebody of the same sex, be aware of this, that, that this is also a craving of the flesh. It's not a craving of the Spirit. Impurity. Um, now, in this sense, he's talking about sexual impurity. Uh, probably a good, a good example of this, um, boys, men, um, it's evident that looking at pornography is an impurity. 
and it's not keeping in step with the Spirit. Sensuality. That could be things like flirting, uh, dressing provocatively, even a gentle touch that lets somebody know, I don't mind you being close to me. Now, the flesh might tell you, it doesn't matter how I dress, if, and if the way I dress causes someone else to think impure thoughts, well, that's their problem. But you know what? The spirit realizes that sensuality, such as flirting, such as dressing provocatively, such as touching somebody in a way that says, I don't mind being close to you, that is out of step with the spirit. It's a work of the flesh. Then he moves on to idolatry. Now, idolatry was always a, a big one and very evident to the people of Israel. It's, it seems peculiar to me uh, that today, uh, even some very committed Bible teachers seem to have changed the definition of idolatry. And I think this is a Western culture thing because they're trying to make it more relevant for us because they think, oh, we don't really have idolatry here. So we make up a new definition for us. And, and so it's becoming increasingly common to describe idolatry as, as anything that we give our attention to instead of God. And, and I've heard preachers say, you know what? Even good things can be idols. And so your family can be an idol, your wife can be an idol, your job can be an idol, even your ministry can be an idol. The things you're doing for God can be an idol if, if you're not getting your full, if you're getting satisfaction out of that instead of out of God. Now, maybe, maybe some of those examples could be sin. But I'm going to be really blunt and say that is not at all what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about idolatry. Idolatry, in the true sense of the word, was a live issue in their culture. And you know what? I believe idolatry is not only a live issue in, in much of the world today, but it's also a live issue even in our culture here in Australia. It's the worship of of another God, or more particularly, the worship of a God of our own making. The most recognizable idolatry is when somebody decides to put a Buddha in their garden or to put a Buddha in their lounge room. And if you drive around the streets of St. George, you'll probably see a few Buddhas in yards, even in St. George. Why would you do that? Well, it's idolatry. Um, or perhaps you might see people out in the parks have, practicing their yoga or Tai Chi. Guess what these things are? These are offshoots of idolatry. But I believe that the most common idolatry today in our culture is when somebody says, I like to think that God is like and then they'll paint the picture for you of what they think their God is like. And it's, it's not a picture of the God who reveals himself in the scriptures. It's not a picture of God revealing himself in Jesus Christ. It's a God that they've made up for themselves. And if you boil it down and get them to describe this God, usually you'll discover that, that this God that they like to think of is basically a reflection of themselves. That's what idolatry is. And it's evident that idolatry is a work of the flesh. Sorcery. 
I love peppercorn sauce. I love, uh, Robin makes this yummy um, garlic sauce, creamy garlic sauce. It's good on things. Um, anybody's mouth starting to water? No, you're not, Andrew. You don't like sauces? Chocolate sauce. I've, I've tasted your chocolate sauce. So, no, you. Uh, what is the sauce that goes with your sticky date pudding that you make? A caramelly sauce, that one. Yes. No, sorcery, think witchcraft. Sorcery is calling on spiritual powers other than God to do the supernatural or to reveal something which is hidden through supernatural means. Have nothing to do with these things. It's dangerous. It leads to spiritual oppression and even to spiritual possession. And yet some people feel it's all very harmless. Having a seance or playing with a Ouija board or dealing out the tarot cards, going into the fortune teller's tent, um, buying some crystals to put on your kids to make them better behaved or something. Now, some of you are probably going, oh, who on earth would do something like that? I'm going to get closer to, to some of the farmers amongst us now. Water divining. Water divining is sorcery. Um, the Bible very clearly tells us to have nothing to do with divination. It's abomination, it says. And I've, I'm telling you now, whenever I've talked about this to farmers, I've always met very strong opposition. Oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not the sort of division, d divination they're talking about in the Bible. This is, this is all good. And, and, of course, the only difference is this is divination that we want to do. Um, Water divining is satanic. Have nothing to do with it. If you don't believe me, um, do what I did. Go to the Queensland State Library in Brisbane, go up to the desk and say, can you direct me please to the books on water divining? And they'll look up their computer and go, eh, is that water dowsing? Yes, that's the proper name for it. And you'll go, they'll direct you to, to the spot, they'll give you the Dewey Decimal number and you'll look and discover that you're in the section of the occult. Um, even the State Library recognises this. Uh, have nothing to do with water divining. It's sorcery. By the way, did you know that sorcery is very closely linked with drug use? Um, not always, but it often is. Uh, the Greek word used here for sorcery is actually pharmakia from which we get our word pharmacy. It means drugs. And sorcery or magic often involves the use of drugs. Uh, these drugs are used to open one's minds up uh, to evil spirits. And so does this start to shed a bit of light on why drug use can be so destructive to a person? And even when somebody becomes a Christian, they can have ongoing problems because of this drug, drug abuse. And so I want to say to our young people today, don't, don't ever even experiment with drug use. It's evident that drug use is a craving of the flesh, not of the spirit. I, I heard a preacher once talk about, tell, tell of a time when... Uh, a Christian lady 
in his congregation came up to him and said, Pastor, is, I'm just in a dilemma. Is it okay for me to smoke or should I give up smoking? And his answer was very simple. He said, well, madam, that depends. For you, is smoking a craving of the spirit or a craving of the flesh? Well, she had her answer and she never smoked again. Now, at this point, the list of examples of works of the flesh shifts now to how we relate to other people. Uh, and in the context, it's also about how we relate to Christians and how we relate within the church. And these are works of the flesh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. As disciples of Jesus, what's supposed to be our core business? It's not a trick question. Love, love. And it's obvious, isn't it, that enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, it's obvious that these works of the flesh are against the work of the Spirit. Enmity. That's not a, not a word we use often. Um, probably the best way for me to describe it is back in Genesis, I think it was, God said that he had put enmity between the serpent and woman. Now, I have never seen someone hate snakes as much as my wife, Robin. She hates them. <gasps> Just freaks out, freaks out. Uh, can't even have a toy. I used to have a, a toy snake for kid stories or something in my desk. I actually had to end up throwing it away because every time Robin would open the drawer, she would just freak out because there's this plastic snake there that she knew was there. But yeah, interesting. Enmity is hatred. It, it, it's holding someone as an enemy. And you know what? To do that is just as much a work of the flesh as sexual immorality. To hate someone. Strife is conflict resulting from rivalry and discord. Right, you get the picture. We don't need to go through that whole list there. The spirit urges us to love, but the flesh is telling us, oh, but you've got an exception here. You don't really need to love this person because they're so bad, they're so horrible. You're quite within your rights to hate them and be filled with bitterness towards them. That's what the flesh is telling us. But if I am filled with anger and hatred and bitterness, it means that I'm completely out of step with the spirit. drunkenness. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Sometimes, yes, it is. There's nothing in the Bible that forbids it. But drunkenness is a different kettle of fish. Drunkenness is a craving of the flesh. And if I enjoy the feeling that alcohol gives me, then I'm out of step with the spirit. A spiritual man will never get drunk. And then he says, orgies and things like these. It's obvious that things like these are works of the flesh. And Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's, that's pretty cutting, isn't it? What Paul's saying is those who walk according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's not think that he's just talking about people here who are outside of the church. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. And he's warned them before, and he's warning them again. What, what a hopeless state. What a hopeless state. Well, it's hopeless, except for the word but. I love the word but when I'm reading the Bible. Um, when I was going to school, we were taught never, ever start a sentence with the word but. We were also told never, ever start a word with a sentence and. Um, I've since discovered that this is actually necessary and especially in the scriptures. But some of the best sentences in the world, in the scriptures, begin with the word but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And having put that excellent sentence in there, beginning with the word but, we're going to leave it there until next week. And next week we're going to talk about living by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful gift of grace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess to you that too often, because ever is too often, too often we haven't walked according to the Spirit. We've had the battle between the flesh and the Spirit and, and we've let the flesh win. And this has happened because we haven't been keeping in step with you. God, forgive us. And Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have through the blood of Jesus. Knowing that the blood of Jesus is the most powerful cleansing agent available for the soul. And Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit. And fill us with your Holy Spirit to grow in us the fruit of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.